millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. My name is Travis Dow. This episode on distillation originally aired as part of a collage for the History Podcasters Network, and the theme for that collage was on alcohol. So for the history of Germany, I did the Beer Purity Act. Uh, for Bohemian, we talked about Pilsner. And for this one, we're talking about distillation and the fact that alchemists kind of um, started the whole thing. So enjoy. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy segment of the show. I'm Travis Dow and with me here is Pete Coleman. Alchemy also has uh, something to do with alcohol. Um, in particular, distillation. It actually has quite a few things to do with alcohol. But distillation, before we get to the booze, it's not just for booze. So for now, put your schnapps away for a minute. We'll get there. When we talk about distilled liquors, we're, we're talking about uh, spirits and liquors. So definitely get rid of any beer or wine, mead, rice wine, cider, cowim. Yeah, yeah, just, just throw all that stuff out. Ara. We're talking about the hard stuff. Yeah, so no... Ibuatu, Mbenge, Koyol wine. Okay, do we get the point? Yeah, so get rid of any Matsun malt beverages. Jinchitsa. Okay. Jinchitsa. Jinchitsa. Absolutely. Palm wine. Come on. Thwan. Seriously? Polke. Are you making these words up now? Are you done? Amasi. Yeah, get rid of all that stuff. Because we're talking about hard liquor, spirits only, distillation. Forget everything I just said. Done. In, in essence, distillation is a process of separating the component substances from a liquid mixture by selective vaporization and condensation. So basically, you're, you're boiling or heating some mixture, and one of the compounds in that mixture will vaporize before the other one does. So you, vap- you, know, so you set it at a very specific temperature, the, the part you want or don't want vaporizes away and then condenses, and so then you separate your mixture. I'm very right. impressed with you, Mr. Science. But let me tell you this. Commercially, distillation has many applications. For example, the fossil fuel industry distillation is a major class of operation obtaining materials from crude oil or fossil fuels for chemical feedstocks. Distillation permits separation of air into its components, notably oxygen, nitrogen, and argon, for industrial uses. Yeah, so you could even distill gases, basically. Absolutely. Filtering. In the uh, field of industrial chemistry, large ranges of crude liquid products of chemical synthesis are distilled to separate them, either from other products or from impurities, or from the unreacting starting materials. Yeah, and then last but not least, we have distillation of fermented products produces uh, spirits or liquors. So examples of fermented products is, you know, we're talking about like beer, wine, kolyol. No, no more. I thought you wanted. I want the basic stuff. No more of this funny sort of didn't want the semi-hard stuff. Stuff we know. Yeah. So anyways. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so you, you distill those beverages to get a higher alcohol content. 
or separates other fermentation, fermentation products of commercial value. So you can you know, split your mash up into the stuff you want. So an installation for, distillate, for distillation, especially for alcohol, is a distillery. The, distil the distillation equipment is a still, right? I just wanted to get those terms out of the way because you know, we're going to go back and forth here. Or in West Virginia, a moonshine maker. Yeah. I think it's just called a bathtub. <laughs> but thanks for being here, Pete. We, we appreciate it. So, Travis, let's bring this back to alchemy where we started. What part of the alchemical process is it and, and why? Yeah, so it was um, distillation was actually invented by alchemists. And um, again, it was part of a necessity. So, there, you know, there was a, they were trying to split, split compounds out of a mixture, you know, purify something. Um, which is kind of at the heart of, of alchemy. So, and, and alchemists also invented some of the early tools for distillation, like the pelican, which we've discussed elsewhere. It's kind of a, a glass vessel with side arms for a circular dist distillation. And I'll point out that sometimes we're talking about distillation, we're talking about distilling something 400, 500, 600 times, right? So the circular distillation is, is important. So, for instance, in, in the alchemical process, you know, making the philosopher's stone or, or trying to um, create gold in some way, you might have your starting ingredients of salts, powders, acids, um, also some metals like mercury. Uh, you'd also have sulfur um, and other things like <clears throat> excrement. Um, the first part of the process is to kind of burn everything down, burn everything to ashes. And then you add water, you add you add things, you, you get um, acidic compounds. And then at some point you want to distill out or filter out the parts you're actually looking for. So there's a lot of side products that you don't really need. Um, in fact, you remember Henning Brandt? I do. He's the, he's the guy that discovered phosphorus. Yeah. Um, so in his case, he discovered phosphorus by distilling his own urine. I wanted to forget that but thanks for bringing that back up again yeah that was that was also on the the uh history network collage one of them i, th I think we've contributed a great great amounts of stuff if to we're the... not careful we're going to have our listeners kind of you know make that connection between dung and urine distillation history, to alchemy well, history of alchemy is uh there's a lot of distilling your own it's, urine it's, it's a I dirty mean, business let's not, not gonna lie about it <laughs> wait till we talk about the homunculus now in addition to the pelican which is that glass vessel for circular distillation we have a retort, a cucurbit, a limbic. These are these are all. Cucurbit is like to boil the vessel. A limbic is to collect the vapors. So all of these together kind of make a still, right? You have your the you boil your mixture, then you know it evaporates, it collects. We did an episode where we actually you know pretended to make gold in our in my wait, kitchen wait, once. Wait, pretended? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was there for the real thing. I was highly disappointed, by the way. Well, that I mean, that I did pay you your, your salary for the year with that gold we made, but um, sorry, buddy. Uh, and also, also in the in the book I wrote, the Alchemy Booklet, you know, there's kind of a very summarized um, version of the process. Well, see, here's the part we talked about distillation. This is from Travis's book. Usually, you would get out the, all the impurities by cooking the starting ingredients. When that's burned down to ashes. Add it to water to create an elixir. The word, of course, that comes from the Arabic word elixir, meaning from the ashes. This can be a complicated part of this whole process because of the precise and consistent heat that is needed. If gold or silver is used in the process, it would now be added. Other ingredients added in this phase could be saltpeter, dung, as we said before, and or other salt uh, minerals. Mix again. If this went successfully, this would be the first milestone. 
when heating, one would see the peacock's tail, quote unquote, basically colors from the oils rising up from your mixture. Isaac Newton wrote on Philosophical Mercury, which was his milestone. He wouldn't even take interest in any contemporary alchemist unless he believed that they had at least reached this stage. Heat it again. Look for signs of red or purple, which indicate gold. The next few steps are heating, distilling, which can take months on end, unless you have separated the vapors, which are saved from the solids. Finally, you would be left with the philosopher's stone. Sometimes it's the, so it's the solid that's left, sometimes it's something more like the vapors that are formed on the glass. And sometimes it's the liquid that you got by distilling the mix. Yeah, so depending on what recipe you're reading, right? Like, this distillation is always a part of it, but sometimes they'd say like a little a red powder gathers on the glass, and that's, that's what they're actually looking for. They're looking for the, the red powder, in this case, is the Philosopher's Stone. Otherwise, you have something that actually looks like a stone left over after you've boiled everything away. And other times, it's kind of, it's the stuff in the other, the, the, not the vapors that collect on the glass, but, you know, something that's made it all the way through. So this basically so, was, was Alchemy 101 for Isaac Newton. This was a litmus yeah, test. So if you couldn't get to this point, you were just a You protector. definitely have to know how to make a still and how an alembic works and, and all those things. You have to be able to set that up. And you have to be able to do it airtight, possibly, because you might have to do it four or five hundred times. And if you're collecting the vapors, you have to be very careful to not lose any of the vapors. So this is actually pretty um, interesting stuff. They weren't just after gold... But also, like the the liquor hepatis was was used was gotten from distillation, and to get this, alchemists would distill sulfur, lime, and sal ammoniac in a very kind of smelly process. The first evidence of distillation comes from Greek alchemists working in Alexandria in the first century A.D. Distilled water has been known since at least 200 when Alexander of Aphrodisias described the process, and we did a show on Zosimos of Panopolis, and he he also. He's kind of famous for mentioning distillation and um, drawing up what is, you know, how a still could look like and all, describing all the parts of it and everything. And for those that don't listen to the show, Zosimos of Panopolis lived sometime, uh, somewhere around the 3rd century AD in Alexandria. And he was one of the first to really spell it out, but he was also quoting older sources. So he's just the oldest extant copy of the manuscript that we have mention, you know, mentioning distillation in that kind of detail. So not the oldest. He didn't invent it, but, uh, you know, as far as manuscripts that we can look at. And you, you remember his dreams that we talked about in his episode? No. Refresh He's the guy that had he walked up like seven stairs and he saw heads in cauldrons. Okay. And, yeah. It freaked me out. Yeah. That, I, was, a, that was a tough one to, to do. Yeah. I'm not, we're not going <laughs> to go over it again here, but really weird stuff. And we did an episode on him, so you can listen to it there. And in fact, he comes up all the, sh all the time on the show because... After his life, he was quoted all the time, you know, for the next millennium and a half. So he had all these weird dreams or visions that he wrote down, and they're weird and neat, but we cover them elsewhere. Anyways, he keeps, he keeps waking up during all this and ponders what the dreams mean. And one of them is like maybe human distillation, like water, transmutation of the body and soul, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, really kind of interesting, funny stuff. Now, the distillation of alcohol... Um, we definitely know that that, you know, we have sources from the 12th century, so a good thousand years later, um, but, but we definitely know this was around. And then the art of this distillation was fleshed out even more in the 16th century, let's say. All right, so Travis, you know, part of this process is using something called pot stills. Today, the retorts and pot stills 
have largely been supplanted by the more efficient distillation methods in most industrial processes. However, the pot is still widely used for elaboration of some fine alcohols such as cognac, scotch whiskey, tequila, and some other vodkas. Pastels made of various materials such as wood, clay, stainless steel are also used by bootleggers in various countries. Small pot stills are also sold for the domestic production of flour, water, or essential oils. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also the, the origin of the word liquor is also closely related to liquid, as you probably figured out. Um, they both come from the Latin verb licere, meaning to be fluid. So the first kind of meaning in English was just simply a liquid, right? Like liquid, liquor was just a liquid. And that can be dated all the way back to 1225. And then later it actually meant specifically a liquid for drinking somewhere on the 14th century. And then even later than that, it meant an intoxicating alcoholic drink. And this is, now we're in the 16th century. And the term spirit in reference to alcohol, in case we didn't bring this up, I don't know, spirit is no sugar, liquor is sugar, has sugar added. Yeah, that's basically the right. difference. The term spirit in reference to alcohol stems from Middle Eastern alchemy. These alchemists were more concerned with medical elixirs than with transmitting lead into gold, as we've come across several times. So the vapor given off and collected during the alchemical process, as, as happens with distillation of alcohol, this is the same process, was called a spirit of the original material. So they might see some steam or something escaping, and it you know, looks like the spirit of the material was, was escaping. Yeah, and then, and then another little, a little side, side thing here is that there's also a way you can freeze distill also sometimes known as the Mongolian still, which I just thought was interesting because it basically you freeze the alcoholic beverage and then you remove the ice because the alcohol, the alcohol itself freezes at a lower temperature. So it's almost, instead of using heat, because so alcohol evaporates sooner than, than water, it also freezes later. So you can either heat it to separate the alcohol or, I never really thought about this, freeze you it. can freeze it. And skim the ice off the top. Take the ice off, you've just removed all the water, all the alcohol is still there. That's, gotcha. that's actually pretty clever, yeah, pretty right? Pretty smart. Yeah, it, especially when, when cold is more of a thing where you live than, than right. heat. So, um, you know, fractional distillation was developed by Tadio Alderati in, 13th, in the 13th century. The production method was written in code suggesting that it was a deep, deep secret at one time. In 1437, burned water, which we know as brandy today, was mentioned in the records of the county of Kazinobogen. What's what? Actually, you said that pretty Katzenelbogen. Katzenelbogen. Yeah. In the county of Katzenelbogen in Germany, it was served in a tall, narrow glass called a Gudelofel. Close enough, yeah. <laughs> Is that close enough? Gudelof. Gudelofel? A narrow glass called a Gudelofel. Paracelsus experimented with this distillation. Again, another episode we've done on this alchemy podcast, Paracelsus. Um, his test was to burn a spoonful without leaving any residue. Other ways of testing it were to burn a cloth soaked in it without actually harming the cloth. In both cases, to achieve this effect, the alcohol had to be at least 95%, or your basic moonshine, you would probably see back home mm-hmm. in West Virginia, right? Close to the maximum concentration attainable through distillation. So many countries obviously take pride in their uh, distilled alcohols, and many countries... Um, kind of claim to be the inventor of this or that drink. Um, like, for instance, you know, Irish whiskey, German brandy. Um, those, those, are both, uh, those both have been around since the 12th century. 
But, you know, some of those things are something to deal with what's available as far as what kind of base they're going to use, like potatoes for vodka or rice yeah. for sake. Uh, so, so a lot of these things uh, really kind of are focused on what, what is uh, grown in the area. Yeah, what's interesting is that these, these really shot up in popularity after the Black Death because originally these were kind of sold as medical elixirs, which is kind of a stepping stone between alchemy and... Because, these you know, we have a lot less purity than you're going for in an alchemical process. You're talking like 40% um, alcohol versus, you know, something that's 95%, you know, distilled 500 times. But still, you know, it was a medical elixir. So, um, yeah, there was a step between, you know... Uh, alchemists and just trying to make alcohol for alcohol's sake and that that is that medical part we've talked about you know medicine a lot in alchemy um but yeah when the 14th century black death dist distilleries kind of shot up you know distilling every anything from wheat barley rye uh, rye beers um you know anything that was cheaper than grapes basically well you know we have this you know looking over this list that we have here tonight you know the idea of I've had probably most of these at some point in my life. You know, gin from England, schnapps from Germany, grappa from, from Italy. Uh, just been some great things. Vodka from Russia and Poland, of course. Uzo from, yeah. from Greece. Uh, you know, it really is a part of their national pride in a lot of, a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Travis, you know, I, I think one thing is the practical application. We kind of bring that up on the, on the Alchemy podcast quite a bit, the History of Alchemy podcast, because... You know, there are some practical applications that we've learned from some of these things, these science methodologies. And one thing that we, we've learned, of course, with the basis in, in, distil, in distillation, is basically how to serve these spirits. Yeah. So uh, we, might not, we might not teach you how to make gold this episode, but we'll tell you how to, how to order a proper drink. So next time you want to purchase a fine distilled beverage, <laughs> you can use this terminologies uh, you can use these terminology to um, order it exactly the way you want, right? So probably most people know that neat means room temperature without anything else. It's just, you know, straight whiskey or, or whatever you're ordering. Um, up is shaken or stirred with ice, strained, served in a stem glass. And then straight is a single spirit served at any temperature without additional ingredients, right? So, um, so often people say they want it straight up. They're mainly referring yeah. to a martini, but that's not actually that's not actually correct because as as we said, like uh, up is shaken or stirred, and straight is nothing. So yeah, people if they, if they want a strained, chill drink, they might say straight up, whatever. But it's yeah, yeah we'll let it slide. It's <laughs> it's, it's in the common vernacular. Um, on the rocks is with ice, right? Blended or frozen is you know kind of blended with ice. Um, then, of course, you can have it with mixers like club soda, tonic water, that kind of thing. Um, you can use it as an ingredient in a cocktail, as an ingredient in a shooter, which is a more complicated shot, basically. You can have it with water, and even with water poured over sugar, as with absinthe that you see here in the Czech Republic. You know, one thing that is also interesting is sake is served, the perfect sake is served at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, uh -huh. which, is, is, which is your body temperature. And so there's again tradition based in actually, the Japanese it's culture. It's pretty that. warm. Yeah, it's exactly. Weird. Yeah, don't get me started on sake bombs. Oh, ho, ho. never have one. It's never like a, well, basically it's a boiler maker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, from the Midwest, if you guys yeah. know what a boiler maker is, <laughs> without the beer. Sake bomb. That doesn't sound healthy. Sake um, bomb. That's oh a, boy. That's what they do. Everyone goes sake bomb. Crap boy Coleman's coming out. <laughs> yeah, bra. And to end, to end our segment. In case you wanted to find out who drinks the most distilled beverages, that would be 
with a huge margin, Belarus. I need like an applause symbol in there. <laughs> yeah. uh, then, we ha- then we have Moldova at a slightly more conservative uh, drinking rate. Lithuania, Russia. Then there's another big drop. And then we have countries like Romania, Ukraine, Andorra, Hungary. Czech Republic is ninth and Slovakia is 10th. So if you really want a heck of a good wedding party to go to, it'd be in these countries. It'd be a heck of a headache afterwards, but one great time. You marry a Moldovan girl in Belarus. And, and invite all your Lithuanian friends. And then buckle up. And <laughs> bring some saline water and an IV drip. That's You're right. Gonna the next gonna, it's going to be rough. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. And if you'd like to hear more of the History of Alchemy podcast, go to historyofalchemy.com. And thanks. Thanks.